0: Good evening, good evening. How's everybody doing? Good, good. So grateful that we just got that chance to pause midweek together and go into prayer before the Lord. And now we get the beautiful chance to come together and go into his word. So before we delve into that tonight, let's open up with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time that we can come together, Lord, and that we can be in your word, Father God. Thank you that you've preserved it for us. Thank you that you give it to us, Lord. Thank you that you feed it to us, Lord, that we can do what you need us to do and be who you need us to be, Father God. Lord, we also do just lift up um, the school in Nashville and everything going on there, Father God, that your hand would just be with those families and the people, Lord, and just just praying, Father God, for just your grace and your mercy and your, your love in that moment, Lord God. And as we go into your word tonight, Father God, may we just be open for what you have for us, Lord. May we put aside distractions, Lord. And Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would fill me, that the words that would come out of my mouth would be from you for your people, Lord God. That every single person here would receive what they need tonight to continue running the race for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So tonight we are going to be... In Acts 26, and I've entitled tonight's message to stand to share. Uh, It's a brief break from where we've been, as you know, with Pastor David, we've been in the Old Testament, we've been working through the study of Exodus, and I pray that tonight as we go through this passage, uh, that we can ponder what it means to stand for truth and the word of God that's the only truth, and that we can ponder how to share all that God has done in our lives. If we think about where we are right now in our calendar and our time, we're getting close to Resurrection Sunday. That's an exciting time, and my challenge for each of us is that we prayerfully seize the moment of this time. And what I mean by that, if we think about Luke nine we're called in that to deny ourselves Daily. Right? if we're going to follow the Lord. And when we're denying ourselves daily, that denial means we're daily celebrating the cross. Because to deny ourselves, that power can only come from the gift that Jesus has given us through salvation, can only come through the gift of what he's done. And right now the world is, yes, there's Easter bunnies and other things that you see if you go to the stores, but this is a time for us who know what this time of the year is about to share to share who Jesus is, to share what truly is the purpose of resurrection. What does that mean? What does Easter, what does that really mean? So before we delve into chapter 26, a quick snapshot background on the book of Acts and where we are in the book just to set up context. The youth know this and they make fun of me for it but we always gotta set things up in context. And that's just something that we're always gonna do. You always have to take scripture in context. The word of God isn't a little genie lamp that you can rub and just say, hocus pocus, there I am. No, you need to take scripture in context. So, Snapshot on Acts, written by Luke, written around 60 to 69 AD. And this book serves as a historic sequel to the Gospels. And it also is showing us how the Holy Spirit establishes the church. In many ways, Acts is a continuation of the Gospel of Luke. Luke was a physician, so we get several details in that Gospel and several details as we go through the book of Acts. He traveled with Paul on his later missionary journey, and it's believed he joined Paul in Troas. And we can see that, and this is where it's beautiful, all the things that we say you see in Scripture. If you look in Acts 16, 10, the pronouns shift from they to we. Luke is the only Gentile author that we have in the New Testament. We get Luke and we get Acts from him. Now the focus of this book ties to all that the Holy Spirit did. Many point to the verse that we can think of for Acts as we go through it is Acts 1.8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Chapters 1 through 7, the gospel goes in Jerusalem, 8 through 12. It's moving in Judea and Samaria, 13 to 28 to the rest of the world. Now, as we look in chapter 26, we get to see how the Holy Spirit fulfills his work through Paul. And how we can lean on the Holy Spirit to fulfill God's work in and through us. The book itself is written to Theophilus. Some believe this was a wealthy Roman official who purchased Luke's freedom. Some even go as far to say that that was a name that was just to cover his true identity. But the meaning of the name is what I cherish. Lover of God. Lover of God. So this book is written to lovers of God. This book is written to you and me as we love God. And Acts is the works of the Holy Spirit to establish the church. Acts is where we also see who we're looking at tonight, Paul. We see that mighty conversion of Saul to Paul. Remember Saul on a mission to kill, destroy, imprison any and all Christians. Chief persecutor, present at the death of Stephen the martyr. Seeing Stephen say, Lord, Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. That's the end of Acts 7. And Saul was right there when he said that. Acts 8 opens. Now Saul was consenting to his death. This man on the prowl to destroy... Christians, is the man we see tonight in chains, standing for Christ and sharing his testimony. And Paul, we have to remember, saints, we can't say they're a lost cause. We can't say there's no way Jesus can save that person. Look at his journey and see how new he was made in Christ. Lover of God. That's who this book is to. As we delve into this portion of Scripture, may your eyes, heart, soul, mind, be open to what God has for you to ponder. And ponder, how am I called to stand? How am I called to share? So as we begin chapter 26, we also just have to get a quick little download of what took place before this, because we're not going through the whole book. We're taking a snapshot tonight of one chapter. So Paul had a mob trying to beat him to death in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount. Claudius Lysias, the captain of the Roman guard, rescues Paul. He's taken to protective custody by the Roman government and sent under special guard to Caesarea to protect him. Now there, he appears before the governor Felix, who wants to have the popularity of the people. So that also includes the Jews. So he holds Paul in prison for two years or so, basically like a political pawn. Festus now comes along as governor after Felix, and Festus brings to Paul, let's go to Jerusalem, let's deal with the charges against you. Now remember, Paul's a Roman citizen, so he takes the right that he has in Acts 25 to appeal to Caesar. This is a right that a Roman citizen would have. They could do it before they're found guilty. They could do it after they're found guilty. If they say, I appeal to Caesar, they get to go to Caesar. Now, how God weaves that together, we have to take note of. Because think about earlier in his conversion in the book of Acts. In Acts 9.15, when Ananias is being sent to go talk to him, we see, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine. To bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And think where he's trying to go. I appeal to Caesar, king. Where we're going to see him tonight, going before a king. Now Festus must honor his request. But he can't send him to Caesar without legitimate charges being made against him. Of which there are none. Thus, what he then does, Festus shares the situation with Herod Agrippa, who agrees to hear the case. And that's where we land right now. We're actually going to back up a little bit and start at verse 23 of chapter 25, and then we'll go through. So, the next day, when Agrippa Bernice had come with great pomp and had entered the auditorium with the commanders and the prominent men of the city, At Festus' command, Paul was brought in, and Festus said, King Agrippa and all the men who are here present with us, you see this man about whom the whole assembly of the Jews petitioned me, both at Jerusalem and here, crying out that he was not fit to live any longer. But when I found that he had committed nothing deserving of death and that he himself had appealed to Augustus, I decided to send him. I have nothing certain to write to my Lord concerning him. Therefore, I have brought him out before you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after examination has taken place, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable to send a prisoner and not to specify the charges against him. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you are permitted to speak for yourself. So Paul stretched out his hand and answered for himself. I think myself Happy King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all the things of which I am accused by the Jews, especially because you are expert in all customs and questions which have to do with the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to hear me patiently. Now, Paul is going before quite the group of people here. Paul's before Festus, the governor, Agrippa, the king, his sister, who is now always with him, just a little side note there with Bernice so we know who's present there. Her husband's out of the picture, has died, and he's, she's always with him, a very immoral woman, always present. And Josephus, Jewish scholar, points to an incestuous relationship, possibly, between the two of them. She's always there. Who else is present? The commanders of the Roman legion? and all the prominent men of Caesarea. Guess what? Paul's before all of these people, and as we go through this chapter, each and every single one of them, by the end of his time there, will have heard who this Jesus is and how to know this Jesus. That's what they're going to get. Paul stands, Paul shares. Now in verse 1, he's invited to speak by Herod Agrippa. Who is this Agrippa? Well, his father martyred the first apostle James. His grandfather had John the Baptist beheaded. His great grandfather had tried to kill Jesus as a baby. All this to say the man that he's speaking before doesn't come from a line of folks really excited about Jesus or open to Jesus. And all this to say, the line that he comes through has deep ties to know who this Jesus is. Which is why we see where he says, especially because you are an expert in all customs and questions. He knows, you, you would know, you're going to know about this. You're going to know about the Jewish faith from your background. And you're also going to know about Jesus. Jesus. Within your family, you saw what was going on and everybody thought. Now, with all of that pressure, is Paul nervous, scared, upset? Verse 2, I think myself happy. Happy. How can he be happy? Well, I see he's got the high officials before him which means he's got the high authorities listening to his case, so there's a little bit of joy in that. And he gets to do what God called him to do at the point of his conversion. He's doing what he's called to do by God, preach the gospel, and to kings and rulers at that. Now notice, right in that moment, right there when he says, I think myself happy, Paul begins to stand. And he also knows, Festus doesn't know anything as a Roman about what he's going there. But Agrippa, with that family lineage, knows more. Thus, he says, I want to be heard patiently. Because he wants, he doesn't want that rush of, okay, just get it out. And he knows he's allowing the Holy Spirit to fill him so that he can share all God has done and is doing. Verse 4. My manner of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know. They knew me from the first, if they were willing to testify, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. Paul lays out what they already knew. He was a Jew. He was a Pharisee. And a son of a Pharisee, as he points out. And we see that in Acts 23.6. He points that out also. And at the times when he was in and as a Pharisee and at that sect, you would think his peers had to be thinking he is going to be such quite the rabbi. He's going to be one of the best that we can look to. But there's a shift that happened. There's a change that happened. And that's why he's in chains now. Verse six, why is he in chains? And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers he's charged for the hope of the promises made by god to our fathers paul didn't betray his jewish faith on the contrary he walked it out to the beautiful fulfillment of messiah to come of jesus christ paul knew that jesus was the fulfillment of countless old testament passages Like Genesis 49.10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes and to him shall be the obedience of the people. Verse seven, to this promise are 12 tribes earnestly serving God night and day hope to attain. For this hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused by the Jews. Paul dedicated his life to sharing the gospel. This is what has him imprisoned. And the struggle for the Jews, he's preaching Jesus. He's preaching resurrection. He lives. Paul met him on the road. We're going to see that momentarily. He knew he was, he is, he is to come. And they couldn't believe such a statement. They couldn't believe in the resurrection. But he knew it and he saw it. And that's where he challenges them. And he says, why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? Why should it be thought incredible, especially you, Agrippa? Agrippa, who would have known passages of Old Testament? Agrippa would have known Job 19, 25 to 27. For I know that my Redeemer lives. And he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself. And my eyes shall behold, and not another, how my heart yearns within me. That's how he can say, why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? And notice the plural you is what's being used there. He's addressing it to everyone that's present while also making sure it's pointed to Agrippa. Paul stands for the character of God. Paul stands for the truth of the resurrection. His standing along with how he lives his life has the spotlight on him as a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Now, before we go on, we have to do a pulse check there. Does how you live your life permeate a conviction list to have you in chains for believing in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Could you be convicted right now by how you live your life? How do you stand on a daily basis? Do people in your life know your belief? Do they see you living a life focused on God's will in your life? Do they see you and know that's somebody who believes in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? That's something we all have to ponder. We have to search our hearts and ask the Lord so that we can be used as he wants us to be. That we can be vessels and ambassadors for the ministry of reconciliation for those he places in our lives day to day. Now, Paul now shifts to speak about just who he was before Christ. He takes that shift. So he, he, he goes there and says, OK, we know this is where it was. This is This is, I was a Jew. We know now that people are thinking it's crazy that I'm thinking and saying that there's a resurrection. Well, let's talk about who I was. Verse 9. Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. He gives personal connection to them. Indeed, me too. Just like you guys are thinking, you know, this. He says, indeed, I myself thought I might do those contrary. Verse 10. This I also did in Jerusalem. And many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign Cities. He lays it all out. This is who I was. Paul's heart before Christ was all about destroying anything to do with Christ. He, was, he had them imprisoned. He pushed for their death. He pushed to renounce Jesus. He persecuted them to the max. And guess what? He wrestled with that. He carried it. Turn to 1 Corinthians 15, 9. There we see, for I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am and his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. He had regret for that. But there's an important thing that we have to see about that regret. He didn't let it keep him from doing God's work. Imagine if, in this moment, he's in chains, he gets there, and that regret hits, and he's just, oh, I did all that persecution. And he just freezes. And he says nothing, but instead, He's able to keep going. It's an important lesson for you and a reminder for me. Satan can't take away our salvation, but he can try to bind your mind in shame and guilt of the past that you're frozen and don't do God's work. You get frozen. The end of Jesus' teaching in the Gospel of Matthew, where he gives how we pray, there's forgiveness. Forgive others so that the Father can forgive you. We must remember to forgive ourselves so we can be about the business God has for us to do. How do you stand? In shame or in the work that Christ has done in you? Do you stand allowing your past to be shackles that freeze you Or do you allow your past to be weapons of a testimony to glorify God? Because that's what we see him doing right here. Learn from Paul here. Paul shows here before Christ, I was angry, I was filled with rage. His rage showed a void of a relationship. With Jesus Christ, his rage showed that you can follow religion diligently to the T, do everything the religion tells you to do. And it can never take the place of a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. It just can't. That's what he lays out right there. He laid out how he grew up, how he was. And the best part now, how he came to know Jesus Verse 12. While thus occupied, as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, at midday, O king, along the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So I said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus. Whom you are persecuting. Paul's moment of meeting Jesus. So we get how Paul was on a mission towards hatred and God stopped him. Jesus came to meet him and he had a choice listen or not. Paul sees this light, literal light, in that moment that gives the figurative light that Christ is for the world and our souls. Christ came to reveal himself to us and shine truth in our eyes amidst the darkness. Paul was going on the path of thinking, I'm right. And God shines a brighter light that says, you're wrong. You're way wrong. And think of the audience he's speaking to at this moment. Think about verse eight, that plural you that he goes to. All of those people present were all ones thinking we're so right. With what we're doing. We're so right with how we're living our lives. And notice how Jesus comes to him in this portion. He comes personally to him. Saul, Saul. Jesus shows him, next, why are you persecuting me? He shows him that the persecution, you're, you're going against these people, but you're really going against me. And he shows how useless it is. Useless. Why persecute me? It is hard to kick against the goads. large stick with a sharp end on it that they use to poke the animals to keep them going. If they're going to go. You can't go against me like this. The battle to persecute God's people might feel good, but in the end, God has the victory. And the one trying to battle has eternal defeat when the blood of Christ is not written on their life. Verse 15. So I said... Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Jesus identifies himself and now, bam. In that moment, Saul knows he's living. Jesus is living. He's resurrected. He's living right there in that moment. I am Jesus. Verse 16. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose so in this moment with Saul we're seeing what happens in salvation we're seeing repentance we're going to see that journey and if you read that portion in eight and nine and see the journey that he goes through it's a true change he goes from a morality of killing Christians to a morality of preaching Christ again a reminder for us dare we ever think someone can't change who in your life have you stopped praying for thinking there's no hope for that person? Who do you know in this body that you need to encourage? Hey, that relative that you talked to me about that you said isn't saved, have you prayed for them? Let's pray right now for them. Let's pray for their salvation. Don't give up. We sing so frequently, and, and it's one of my son's favorite worship songs, The Battle Belongs. And we have to remember. That, that battle, I fight on my knees, we fight in prayer. The battle belongs to God and the battle is won in prayer. In Saul, we see this reminder that somebody, if you think about it, if somebody gave you just the stats on Saul and said, is this the person that you think is going to write most of the New Testament books and is going to be doing all these things for Christ, is that who you would jump to say? Never think that somebody is a lost cause. Keep tarrying for them in prayer. Verse 16, but rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Paul's mission's given. Rise and stand on your feet. Paul, rise and stand. I have a mission for you to stand, to share. Religious leaders had him on one mission and then Jesus turns him to go on another mission. That's the portrait we have. Before Christ, we're on one mission, me, 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 and then he turns us and we're on his mission. He gives us another. Paul was to be a minister and a witness. Guess what, saints? That's what every single one of us in this room is called to do. We aren't called to make this book serve us. We're called to serve it. We're called to serve God. We're called to serve Jesus in a time where self-help permeates our culture. It's all about me. It's all about how can I get better? How can I be better? What selfie can I take? It's all me, me, me. That's our culture. And it's growing rapidly. How much more do we all need to be standing to serve the Word of God. As we digest it, as we take its nutritionness and the goodness of His Word in our vessels, we now need to use it, live it, do it. So many of the epistles we see start with bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. When I taught James a few months back, I said, challenge that. That's how you should introduce yourself to people. I'm a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've tried it twice. Once it went interestingly, and the other time it went better. But both times I got to talk about Jesus. Because it's not what people expect. They meet you, and they say, oh, what do you do? I'm a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. What about you? Uh, uh, but it's a conversation starter. Try it. Everyone, do it tonight. Wherever you go, tell people, I'm a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in this snapshot, Paul is showing these rulers what it means to meet Jesus. Remember, we talked. That's what we're going to see. And he's sharing the words that Jesus uses to him. In verse 17, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. You know what's cool about God's word In other parts, we see Paul give this testimony. And in the different portions of scripture where he gives it, he gives different details. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. Because in this point, can you lay out any more clearly what Jesus does when he comes and how he goes? We move from darkness to light. We move from bondage of Satan's fake power to the eternal true power of God. We receive forgiveness of sins. We receive an inheritance among God's people. He lays it all out. It's all laid out. And if we think about verse 2, who did it begin with that he starts to speak? King Agrippa. This is now an invitation to King Agrippa. You've heard it, King. This can be yours as well. He stands and shares his testimony. He stands and shares who he was, how he met Jesus, and who he is now. Do you share your testimony? Are you able to give your testimony to someone in a few sentences I promise I'm not always going to give homework, but homework assignment write out your testimony tonight. Write it out. Tonight, tomorrow morning, write it at some time, and be familiar with sharing what God did in your life. Memorialize what Jesus has done in your life and be ready to share it with others. Be in the practice of sharing what God has done in your life. It's through the words of testimonies we share that we show the personal relationship. That is possible with the God of Scripture to an unbelieving and doubting world. Because people, can, oh, I don't want to hear that Bible. Well, let me tell you about what Jesus did in my life. This is my story. This is what God's done in my life. They're going to listen. They can't just shoo that away. And then it's like, well, let me tell you more about it. We got to go here now. Practice your testimony. Be able to share it. Verse 19, Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent, turn to God, and do the works befitting repentance. Paul says, I obeyed. I chose to obey God. Period. Punkt. Easy. May it be like that for all of us. He sums up the purpose of it all. Preach the truth that everyone would repent. Verse 21, for these reasons, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. He levels how the reasons they bring to put death upon him are void. They're empty. Then verse 22, therefore, having obtained help from God to this day, I stand. We're pausing there. Having attained help from God. Notice in the trial, in the chains, it's not about him, but all about God. He stands and he shares from God's heart of who God's character is and from the fact that it's God who gives him the help. God helps equip Paul with the Holy Spirit that he can speak within bondage, that he can maintain that joyful heart that we see in Philippians when he's imprisoned in the ground, that he can preserve for God's glory. May we all pray and ask when we are talking and going before people, Holy Spirit, equip us to speak no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what we may face. Therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand, witnessing both to small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come, that Christ would suffer that he would be the first to rise from the dead and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Paul, the Jew, meets Jesus, the promised Messiah, accepts his gift as the Messiah, told that was coming by the prophets, and lives for him. Salvation, faith in Christ, bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he says. That's what he does. And he's using the word prophets, which is gonna be important in a few verses. Because he's just, he's living out his Jewish faith ultimately and sees Messiah come face to face and gets it. Verse 24. Now as he thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. AKA, you crazy. When people stand for Christ, We need not be surprised that people think we are crazy or out of our minds. When people stand for Christ, we need not be surprised that people think we're crazy or out of our minds. Did you get that? Paul has given all God has done, all of who he is. He pours out his genuine heart for Christ and is met with, you're insane. You're crazy. Think of our culture today in a world that has much going on and, and is falling and people are wondering, is the rapture about to happen? What's going to go on? People who believe in the Bible and say they, 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 they read this same book we do and you tell them the rapture, it is something that's going to come. You're crazy. Rapture, what are you talking about? There's no rapture in the Bible. And then people who don't believe. You believe in that thing? You're crazy. We can't be surprised when that comes. For Paul, Festus, think of what he's seeing in this moment. He's saying, okay, you're a happy prisoner. Crazy. God raising the dead. Crazy. A vision on a road changed your life. Crazy. More about proclaiming Jesus than worrying about your own freedom. Crazy. You want a message of redemption for everybody. Crazy. Crazy. But how does Paul stand and share in the midst of being called crazy? Verse 25. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. I want that as a t-shirt for everybody. (laughs) I speak the words of truth and reason. Paul sums it up so concisely. I speak truth. I speak reason. Guess what? There's only one truth and reason. We're studying it right now, the Word of God. God can't be confined by man's logic or reason. God can't be twisted to your truth, whatever this truth is. There's one truth, one reason. And we have to remember that within our culture today that we would be able to say, I speak the words of truth and reason. Now see how Paul knows his audience. And that's why we, we, Paul's filled with the Holy Spirit. We must seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit Daily and in every moment. Because in this moment, the Holy Spirit is is truly the one enabling him to not let being mocked as crazy silence him or throw him off base. He's laser focused on God's will. He's laser focused on doing God's work. When you stand, when you share, eye on the prize. Eye on doing God's work. Verse 26 For the king, he's continuing, before whom I also speak freely, knows these things. For I am convinced that none of these things escape his attention, since this thing was not done in a corner. I love it. He's just, I speak truth and reason. And the king knows these things. They weren't done in a corner. Correct. Because think of everything he's just laid out. Everything that Paul shares is historical events. These are all things that Agrippa would have known of. And Paul leans into the historical foundation so that if all is true, then by reason, you either believe or not. And this is a witness to Agrippa and a witness for us, to others through scripture of how real everything is. So, why seeing the pictures of the Israel trip, I was like, it is so real, it's history. We can forget that sometimes, and we shouldn't. It's history. And we know what's to come, but this is all history. Verse 27, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. And notice earlier, he had said prophets. It's this intentional word. Do you believe the prophets? Acts, the book of the Holy Spirit, establishing the church. And in establishing it, he builds believers to stand for him, to share their faith. And in sharing for him, we have to ask the right questions. And this is why this question. Well, Paul's aware that if Agrippa believes in the prophets, then truth and reason would believe him to believe in Jesus. That's just the line that it would go. Paul uses what Agrippa already believes to build a bridge for him to come to know Jesus. And a little nugget lesson for us as we're sharing and as we're talking, know what foundation people may already have, what they may already know of truth and believe, and ask the Holy Spirit, give me that discernment that I ask the right questions, that I ask the right things. Now, verse 28, Then Agrippa said to Paul, You almost persuade me to become a Christian. He basically says, in a short time or with such short words, you think you can make me a Christian. He brought him to a moment of decision. And that's important. It's essential. Now, sadly, Agrippa didn't make the decision that we want. But it's a lesson for us in that, too. We can't do the work that God calls us. We can't share wanting the picture Hollywood ending that I've shared it, it's gone. They've said the prayer, they're saved. Oh my goodness, it's great. No, the picture perfect ending is being obedient to God and his work and remembering he does the saving, we do the serving. Our job is to serve. I've served the truth, do with it what you will. Agrippa is close, but not close enough. And guess what? There isn't a line on Judgment Day for the close but no cigar folks. That's not that. You're either all in or you're out. You're either genuine or not. Why do you think Jesus has in Scripture that some will hear, depart from me, I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. And if you're sitting here and that strikes you and you don't know that you know when you have your last breath that you're with him, please let's talk. Please let's talk. Now, in this passage, why for Agrippa not becoming a Christian? Think of 2 Timothy 2.26, where we read that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. In this moment, Agrippa stays in the snare. No light, no God, no place among God's people, no being one set apart by faith in God. Why? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. He's got Bernice right beside him, sinful, immoral woman with right there. We've got the lurkings of incestuous relationships going on with them. He's not gonna wanna, if I say this now before her, what will she think? Festus just said he's crazy. If I say that I believe in front of Festus, he's gonna now think I'm crazy. And the Jewish people, I, I need their, I want them to like me. He if he affirms the prophets, he's following truth and reason. He can't go down that road. Agrippa puts man before God. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. How these three keep people from the saving grace of Jesus and bonded to the snare of Satan himself. Jesus says in Matthew sixteen twenty four. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it if a man, if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? In this moment, Agrippa chose to keep his life, then lose it for Christ. A Spurgeon quote on this that I like. Alas, how many are influenced by fear of men? Oh, you cowards, will you be damned out of fear? Will you sooner let your souls perish than show your manhood by telling a poor mortal that you defy his scorn? Dare you not follow the right, though all men in the world should call you to do the wrong? Oh, you cowards, you cowards! How you deserve to perish, who have not enough soul to call your souls your own, but cower down before the sneers of fools. Paul's response, verse 29. And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. He wants each and every single one of them to come to know Jesus, to come to have the relationship. In light of Agrippa saying, yeah, you you think in this short time, he doesn't change his tune. He stands firm. Paul being in chains, is more free than any of them that he is speaking before. Verse 30. When he had said these things, the king stood up as well as the governor and Bernice and those who sat with them. And when they had gone aside, they talked among themselves, saying, this man is doing nothing deserving of death or chains. Then Agrippa said to Festus, this man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Paul's gone in for the jugular. He hit home. And we see what they do. They get up and move away. It's also a reminder for us when we stand and when we share. Sometimes they get up, they move away. And that's okay. Now they find no guilty verdict that the Jews are seeking. And guess what? It could all be over now. But he appealed to Caesar because he's fulfilling God's call, God's will. He bears the name, as we see, we saw when we looked at what the Lord says to Ananias, before kings, he's fulfilling that by going to Caesar. He's fulfilling getting to see the Romans. In this short moment, we see what he will write in Romans eight twenty-eight. So true. God works all things together for the good. Paul stood, Paul shared, in chains, no wavering. It's 2023. Our nation's pushing Christianity out the door more and more. Teaching portions of the Bible is leading to pastors getting arrested, is leading to issues around the world. We've read and we looked at how hard it is for our brothers and sisters around the world to even just gather in prayer or to read the Word. We can't take the freedom we have in this present moment for granted. We have to thank God, and we need to stand for truth, the only truth. And we need to be sharing what He has done and is doing in our lives. We need to stand for Christ. And more importantly, saints, we need to share Christ. We need to share. Don't sit in the comfort waiting for the rapture with your hands under you on the chair. The rapture's coming. The rapture's coming. What are you doing while you're waiting? Stand and share. Do the work that he calls us to do. Serve his word. And in that, if the day comes that you are in chains, will you rejoice in the chance to give your testimony for Christ? Or will you succumb to the forced requests to preserve your life? The title of this message was is to stand or to share. To stand, to share, to stand, to share. That's what we need to be doing. We need to be a body of believers that never ceases standing for Christ, sharing the full gospel, every single verse of it, until he calls us home. Share what he's done. Look at what Paul did in this moment. And we see it's not the picture-perfect ending that everything works out great and he's free and all the Jews get saved and yay, Hollywood ending. No, it's God's ending, which is better because it's eternal. And Jesus tells us, rejoice in the persecuting. Rejoice in it. And we see, where did he start? I find myself happy. Because the Holy Spirit's indwelling in him. He knows who is the beginning, author, finisher. He knows who's in control, God. And he knows Jesus face to face. We get that security. So stand and share. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord, thank you for this story from Paul. Lord, thank you for this moment of history that we get to see, Lord, and and of, of your story, Father God, in his life. Thank you for an example of what it means to stand. Thank you for an example of what it means to share our testimony, Lord, and to not be concerned about the reactions of others, but to be concerned about doing your work, doing your will, serving you, Father, Lord God, I pray that every single one of us can search our hearts and just be ready to stand for you when we need to and to be ready to share what you've done in our lives, Lord. Help us to go to our homes and with our families and Lord, even if we share with one another the stories of how we came to know you, yes, we may have heard it, Lord, but to share it again and to just remember how real you are in our lives, Lord, that we would be ready and equipped to share with others, Lord God. We pray that others would come to know you, Lord. We pray that anyone tonight who doesn't know you comes to know you, Father God. That the way Paul said, all, Lord, would come to know you, repent, believe, and live for you, Father. Thank you again for this time that we can be in your word, Lord. Help all to travel safely to their homes, Lord. And we just give you honor and praise for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen.